It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to a new week and a new month here on the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, we had a good one in store to kick off uh, the month of March, coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. I'm going to be talking with a... Um, let's see, how do I describe this? A clinical social worker, teacher, and author who has written... Uh, Numerous books on child mental health, including some books for kids, um, and, and that includes her new book, Lila in the Land of the Littles, by Leslie Coplow. She'll be joining me coming up in uh, a little while. And during the uh, second hour of our three-hour tour, I'm going to be uh, talking with Giles Sparrow, who is uh, an astronomer and the author of... Um, over 20 popular science books, but he has a new book. Uh, he lives in East London, and he has a new book. I love this title, A History of the Universe in 21 Stars and Three Imposters. Giles Sparrow will be joining me coming up in uh, a little while. But first, we're going to talk to um, another guest from the UK is uh, joining me by phone. She is the... Uh, international best-selling author of the Ruth Galloway Mysteries, and uh, she won um, an Edgar Award for last year's The Stranger Diaries, and she has a new book. Um, it's being called a standalone novel, yet it features a at least one uh, principal character from a previous book. But we'll find out what that's all about with uh, author Ellie Griffiths, who joins me now by phone. Ellie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. Um, Ellie, the uh, 
the book has um you're killing off crime novelists <laughs> is that a way of of rooting out the competition ellie <laughs> <laughs> about it like that but you might be right yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a crime novel and it is set in the world of crime writing yes and um in the course of the book a few crime writers do get killed off it's true i didn't consciously i must quickly say that based on anyone that i no, know i thought maybe some but subconscious quite... some subconscious <laughs> desire well, to never know. clear the field a little you never know. <laughs> you never know what the subconscious is doing, do you? Really, but I don't know. It, it's a funny thing, really, because um, I probably shouldn't say it myself. But most crime writers are very nice. They're very sort of jolly, and I wonder if it's because you know we get out all the bad stuff out on the page. You know, um, I, w- I wonder that most too. Crime writers. <laughs> Yes, you know, when I used to work in, in publishing, uh, in children's publishing, in fact, and I'm, again, not going to mention any names, but it wasn't entirely true of children's authors, but crime writers, they seem very fun, there's, very, there's a very collegiate atmosphere amongst us all. I went on um, a lovely tour of the US a couple of years ago with another couple of crime writers, Amy Stewart and Mario Giordano, and there was no competition between us, we had just had the most fun, so I have to say... I wouldn't want to kill off any of my crime writing colleagues. <laughs> none come to mind anyway, right? Um, <laughs> no, not that I'm going to admit to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to ask you just briefly about the Edgar Award. Is that something that's given out in the UK? It's not, no, um, but it's it's... It's very exciting for us in the UK. You know, it's a very glamorous award to win. And, of course, it is. I think it might be the oldest crime-writing award. So, you know, I was so excited to be um, to be shortlisted for it. And, of course, I immediately bought my ticket to come to New York for, uh, <laughs> for the ceremony and was very excited about it. Because that didn't happen, because coronavirus, that terrible thing happened. So I found out that I'd won it when I was sitting, I'm talking to you from a shed. At the bottom of my garden, I live in Brighton on the south coast of England, and I was in this shed with my cat when I heard that I'd won, and it felt very surreal, but it, it also felt, you know, amazing, really. And then uh, after a few months, and I think he got lost in transit or something, I eventually got the statue because the statue is lovely. It's a little sort of bust of Edgar Allan Poe, and it's so cool. For me, it's as cool as an Oscar, so I feel really excited to have won it i have to say well i i had to ask about that because i've talked to some other writers who have won edgar awards and in all of the cases that i can remember their books were very popular in the uk and it it got me wondering if if it was a uk award but apparently not and of course because it's paul no it's the it's the mystery writers of america give it to you which are, again, a, a fantastically sort of eminent body. So it feels very exciting. Um, now, I, I was going to ask you, you wrote the Ruth Galloway Mysteries, and a lot is being made of the, your new book, The Postscript Murders, as being a uh, standalone novel, but yet there are characters who have appeared in your books before, and that, that that makes me wonder, is this 
really a standalone book or is it a sequel a little bit to The Stranger Diaries? I'm just not very good at standalones, I don't think. Um, yes, well, <laughs> I'm, it is a standalone. <laughs> um, so The Stranger Diaries was a standalone because it was very different from the Dr. Ruth Galloway books and it was a whole new world and a whole new place and new characters. But I have to say, so the, and the Postscript Murders was meant to be that, you know, it's a whole new cast of characters. Um, but when, the, when they go to... to seek help from a detective. Somehow I kind of knew the detective was going to be Harbinder Kaur from The Stranger Diaries. So I guess it's not exactly a series, but it, it does have the same detective in, I have to say. I just get fond of my characters. And I want to keep writing about them. <laughs> but, but, you know, I ask uh, writers who do series, um, who write series, some of them have multiple series, um, if you get to the end of a book and go, but wait, there's more. <laughs> if that's how it happens, or if you know ahead of time it's going to be a series. I don't know. I think, well, with the Ruth books, and I'm, the, the 13th Ruth book actually comes out in, in June, uh, the night talk, so there's 13 books in that series. I think when I wrote the first one, I didn't know that I was going to write a series, but I always kind of knew... But there was a long story there, you know, between the two, particularly between the two main characters. I knew they sort of had a yeah. long story. But it was more whether I ever thought I'd get the chance to write it, you know, because it, it, it does seem a real privilege to be able to get the chance to write so many books. And I, I think it's only crime fiction, or maybe it's a fantasy as well, I don't know, but it's only crime fiction where you really get the chance to write a series, isn't it? Um, before, you know, I, I wrote crime fiction, I wrote sort of, I guess you might call them women's fiction, and that you have to leave your characters at the end of the book there because you just don't, in sort of more literary fiction, ever get a chance to write a series. But in crime fiction, you can, which which feels like a real, I don't know, it just feels like a real privilege. Well, it's it's interesting because there are these iconic crime solvers that lend themselves to repeat performances. You know, you think of uh, yes, some of the Agatha Christie characters, uh, Sherlock Holmes, even some of the Raymond Chandler things where, you know, you have these, these main characters and it just, it, it just seems like you want more stories with those people in them, like what you experienced uh, when it came time to assign a detective in the postscript murders. Yes, and I think, I wonder if there's also something about, you know, crime fiction um, is, is about sort of violent death and, and horrible events. And maybe you sort of want a familiar character to sort of see you through it. Because it's like, you yeah. know, like when you see, or when you, when you read, oh, Miss Marple's just come into the room, or, you know, um, uh, Vera from the Ankles books, if, if she comes into the room, you sort of relax a bit. You think, oh, oh, it's okay, you know, there's somebody I know here, they're going to sort it all out. So, I wonder if that's why we kind of like to have a returning character in time fiction, because even if, even if they're as mixed up as you like, which some detectives are, we sort of think, oh, phew, you know, they're here, they're, they're going to make sense of it, they're going to, to sort of talk us through it. So, so maybe that's it, but it's certainly true, um, you know, crime fiction is, is a world full of returning characters, isn't it? It it is, and that and that makes me wonder a little bit, um, especially because the way that that you described uh, casting uh, Detective Sergeant Harbinder Core in uh, in this new book, um, bringing him 
back from Stranger Diaries uh, or continuing on um, is do you fashion these characters and then come up with a story of things that would happen to them or do you have the story in mind first and then cast it like a movie <laughs> it's so interesting isn't it because I think everybody's different about this and I teach creative writing and you know, I, I say one thing to my students, but, you know, when the other tutors will say something else. But for me, it does usually start with the character, the character or the place. I think with the Ruth books, the sort of place, that sort of marshland on the North Norfolk coast, and Ruth sort of appears at the same time. But for me, it does start with a character. And, um, you know, I think that if, if you're, I say to my students, that if, if your book's, if your readers don't really relate to your characters, they don't have to like them, they have to love them, but they have to feel something for them because if they don't, then there's no kind of tension in your books because tension comes from caring what happens to the characters and suspense comes from that. So I do think the sort of character comes first and you, I, I sort of tend to get a character and think, oh, where are they going? You know, what are, what are they going to do? Who are they going to meet? And, you know, though I do do, obviously, some sort of planning, and my plots are quite complicated, actually, um, sometimes, um, it, it is usually the characters who, who sort of see me through it. And with the postscript murders, I've got these sort of four main characters who see the story through their eyes. And that's how the story sort of emerged to me, through those characters, really. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that, and I'm always fascinated about the creative process, and, and I hope we'll get a chance to talk about <laughs> that a little bit um but i uh, I, I do want to ask and, and unfortunately we have a break coming up here in about a minute and a half so i don't want to dig down too deep but um <laughs> the title of the book the postscript murders um it 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 almost sounds like it's a, a ps to the stranger diaries but it really isn't is it I suppose it could it could feel like that. It could feel it could sort of be you know how Colombo used to stand at the doorway and say, "Oh, there's just one more thing." Yeah, so it could be like that, couldn't it? The fact that oh, P.S. Here's another book coming. Um, but I think postscript. Well, well, you know, when you read the book, you'll know that P.S. comes from the, the rather sinister P.S. Thanks for the Murders, which appears on some books belonging to an elderly lady. So that's where it comes from. And it's, I suppose it's a nod to the fact that, it, that, it, that it's a book about books and, and writers and, and that world. And, of course, murders. And murders, yes, definitely. Murders on the, in the pages of books and murders in real life, yes. And... and uh but but interestingly, uh, one of your publicists said it's spooky but not gory. Yes, I think I, I'm not very good with things that, that are gory myself. I don't particularly like to read them, so I'm certainly not going to write them. But I do always aim, I like to have a, a sort of atmosphere. You know how sometimes there is a slightly, uh, the book starts on, on the south coast of England. Uh, Ellie, you know, you have those Ellie I hate to... Resorts. Ellie, I hate to interrupt, but we have to put a comma here because I do have a break. Can you stick around? Because I want to talk some more. I definitely will. All right. We'll be right Hello back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Wearing a mask helps prevent the spread of COVID-19. Wear your mask correctly. Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before putting on your mask. Holding the ear loops or ties, make sure the mask covers your nose and mouth and secure it around your chin. Try to fit it snugly against the sides of your face. Make sure you can breathe easily and keep the mask on the entire time you're in public. To learn more, visit cdc.gov coronavirus. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. TomSumnerProgram.com TomSumnerProgram.com
Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with international best-selling author Ellie Griffiths about her new book, The Postscript Murders. Ellie, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no, it's great. I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, just before we, we went to break in the last segment, you mentioned uh, almost parenthetically as we were talking about sort of one of those chicken and the egg questions, story first or characters first. And you said that, that character and place come first. How important is place as a character, in, especially in uh, crime novels or mysteries? important, isn't it? And it is strange, really. I think, you know, crime novels, you sort of think of the Edinburgh of uh, uh, Ian Rankin's books or the, or the Oxford of the Morse books, you know, it, it does seem like another character. And, and for me, the whole idea for the Dr. Ruth Galloway books came when I was walking across um, Titchwell Marsh, which is some marshland on the north, um, north Norfolk coast, which is on the very, I don't know if you know Norfolk, on the very east, east of England. And it's beautiful. It's a little bit bleak and it's very beautiful. And I was walking on there with my husband, Andy, and, and our kids who were young then. And Andy's an archaeologist. And he happened to mention that prehistoric people thought marshland was sacred because it's neither land nor sea, but something in between. They thought of it as a bridge to the afterlife. You know, neither land nor sea, neither life nor death. A sort of in-between place, a liminal zone. And that's why they buried bodies there. And that's why you find those sort of so-called bog bodies. And as soon as he said that, it was the strangest thing. As soon as he said that, I had the plot for the crossing places in my head. And I did <laughs> see sort of Dr. Ruth Galloway walking towards me out of the mist. I really did. Oh, that's funny. Um, and and it, it, is Griffith's a uh, a nom de plume or are you married to Andy Griffiths? Uh, no, in fact, uh, Ellie Griffiths <laughs> is a nom de plume, but my real name sounds sound like a pseudonym. So my real name is Domenica de Rosa. Um, and uh, as Domenica de Rosa, I did write four books about sort of, you know, sort of saying early on sort of women's fiction about sort of family relationships, that sort of thing. Um, and it was when I had the idea for The Crossing Places uh, that my agent said to me, oh, she said, oh, oh, this is crime. You need a crime name. So I thought, without thinking too much of it, really, I chose my grandmother's name. So my grandmother was um, Ellen Griffiths. And actually, it's St. David's Day here, the, the, the day of the, the well, St. David's everywhere, uh, the Welsh patron saint. So it's, it's a good time to mention the Griffiths name. So my grandmother was Welsh. Her name was Ellen Griffiths. And I chose Ellen Griffiths. And somewhere along the way, I don't quite know how it happened, my publishers decided that Ellie sounded a bit younger. So I just became Ellie Griffiths like that, even though my real name sounds so writery and, and you know, made up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. Um, my married name is Maxted, which is also a very nice name. I don't know. I didn't think of that, really. Were you ever encouraged by publishers to maybe not use a first name like some women authors have been in the past? I think I sort of arrived just when that was kind of happening. And I do remember saying to, to my um, editor, 
And I've been very lucky because I've had the same editor in, in Britain for all the Ellie Griffiths books, and she's called Jane Wood, and she's amazing. And I remember saying to her, should I be E.G. Griffiths or something? Yeah. And she sort of said, no. She said, you know, I think, I think you know, um, Ellie's your name. Well, it wasn't my name, but Ellie just decided right. to be my name. But, you know, she, th- she thought that it would be a, a book that, that women liked, and a lot of women do read crime fiction, obviously, and write crime fiction. So she, I think she felt it would be a plus to sort of have a woman's name attached to it. But I know lots of people went down the sort of, well, I suppose it was the J.K. Rowling thing, wasn't it? It was the, uh, the, the initials route. Um, That's certainly a big you know, example um, of that. Bolton. Yeah, and of course now she's, you know, she's writing as Robert Galbraith, isn't she? Names are interesting, aren't they? They're very interesting. And I always think that names, particularly in crime fiction, they're very useful. It was very useful writing a book about the, uh, the sort of crime writing world because you can use that the way people use pseudonyms. And it's a strange thing, really, isn't it? It, it is. Um, but, I, but I'm, oh, you know, I'm always curious about um, about women who have high-profile positions and if they're, you know, encouraged to, you know, sort of pretend to be male or a, a, at least be uh, somewhat discreet. And, and I'm, I'm glad to see that, uh, that, that you and your publishers believe those days are behind us. Yeah, I hope so, definitely. I mean, I think there was, I think you're absolutely right, I think there was a bit of that, people saying, oh, oh, you know, particularly maybe in sort of children's fiction or young adult fiction, oh, you know, boys won't read a book by it with a woman's name on. But I don't think that's true. I really don't. Um, But I think there might have been a a bit of it around. And also the thing is, I think nowadays... um, readers and writers, and that's partly what the Postscript Murders is about, really, have a very close relationship. And I like to feel quite close to my readers, and I, feel, I like to think they can sort of contact me or send me a tweet or something like that. And it would be that would be a bit distancing if they only knew me by my initials, you know. You can't sort of get to like somebody called E.G. Griffiths, but you might be able <laughs> to get to like someone called Ellie. So <laughs> I, think, I think it's a bit distancing. So, I, you know, even though Ellie's not my real name, it's... I feel I feel it's it's nice to have to have a name. Yeah, I, I I agree. We were talking about place and how important that is. How important is time that a story is set in? Ooh. I think that's that's so interesting, isn't it? I'm sure I'm sure there must be a very good sort of T.S. Eliot quote about time and place. I was wandering around in my head. Uh, time is always time and place is always an only place. It's very, very important, I think. And um, I write another series that uh, is now called the Brighton Mysteries. They used to be called the Magic Men series. They're set in the 1950s. And for me, that, that time, you know, there is an atmosphere to that time that I try to capture in, in those books, you know, and they're about the last days of vaudeville, really, uh, sort of music hall and theatres and the, the, the contrast between the glitz of the theatre and the sort of drabness of the rest of the world. So I feel that time, yes, time and place are both very, very important. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of hooked on, uh, you know, the, the 30s and 40s in film noir. And I like drawing room mysteries as well. When is the postscript murders to have or be taking place? It's it's contemporary. It's uh, 2018, actually. Though in some ways that seems a long time ago now, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it does. Thanks it to about, COVID, it does. <laughs> I know the whole, 
It's a whole other world, isn't it? Yes. And, and, you know, writing about a book where the characters, the four characters, go on this kind of road trip. Um, now, you know, it, it, feels, it feels wonderful to read about going on a road trip now. We're not allowed to go anywhere. But um, th- there is, part, the book is partly about so-called sort of golden age mysteries. And as you were saying, those books are set in the 1930s. So it does sort of embrace that world. And uh, a lot of the clues are bound up with this imaginary golden age writer. And I had a great deal of fun making her up called Sheila Atkins. And they find the clues are in her books. So um, I, I really did really did enjoy that. But yes, I love that. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because people turn to crime fiction in the 1930s in a time of you know, worry and global disruption. And, of course, I think people are trying to crime fiction now as well. So it is interesting, isn't it? It, it is interesting. And they are um, tremendous uh, mental and emotional exercises when they're done well. They're, you know, it's it's fun to get caught up in a mystery. Um, Tears. With um, the... Uh, Postscript murders, and, and I, I lost my train of thought, Ellie. I was so caught up with your um, description of <laughs> of uh, having sort of a throwback to that earlier age. Oh, I know what it was. If there were writers and characters that inspired you, how you picked murder to write about. Oh, well... I've always really liked crime fiction. Even I, funny enough, I wrote my first kind of attempt at a novel when I was eleven, <laughs> and it was called, and it was called The Hair of the Dog, which must have been something my parents talked about, I guess. But <laughs> there was a crime fiction book, and it was. <laughs> I don't think I knew what it meant, but they must have talked about it. Um, I'm very familiar with the concept. <laughs> well, actually, it's quite an interesting concept for a crime novel, isn't it? You know, that the, the, the thing that made you feel ill is the thing that's going to make you better sort of thing. Um, it is sort of a revenge concept in a way, isn't it? So I did pick up on that age 11. I mean, the book's not terribly good, but it shows that I was already really interested in that world. And, yeah, I read loads of um, Agatha Christie's and Leo Marsh and... Uh, Barbara Vine, Ruth Rendell, those those sort of books. I'm also a huge fan of uh, Wilkie Collins and those Victorian. Um, I suppose uh, some people say that Wilkie Collins wrote the first uh, um, detective story in the Moonstone, and Stranger Diaries is very much based in that world. It's, it's a sort of modern day Gothic, but also includes a sort of Victorian Gothic story in the middle of it. So I really, I, I think I was very influenced by those as well. But I was also influenced by TV. I used to be, I was a big Starsky and Hutch fan when I was young. And uh, I used to write these little episodes of Starsky and Hutch for my friends. Oh, that's and, great. Um, you know, we'd be in class. We'd be in class, and uh, people would say, we've got a new episode for us to read, and they'd be passed around the class. And I do remember, I remember that I wrote one, and in it, I killed Starsky, which which was shocking, because he was my favorite, I have to say. Um, so I killed Starsky. It wasn't much of a story, Starsky was dead, Hutch was bad. But I remember being <laughs> passed around in class, and I, remember, and I remember that people were crying. People started to cry. And you know what? I, I did like that. You know, I, I liked that I could do that. I thought, wow, you know, I've, I've maybe found out a way to do that. 
um, sort of move people with writing. So I think that was good. I think Stalking Hodge were quite influential as well. Oh, that's funny. Because I, I used to watch that show. I, <laughs> I'm I'm a, of an age where that was uh, that that was cutting edge crime drama on TV. <laughs> Oh my goodness! For me too, you know, they were really important to me, you know, when I was growing up, Starsky and Hutch, and you know, and and the, the relationship between them, and it, well, they were just amazing. They were amazing. Yes, <laughs> I feel very fond of them still. Well, and and it was um, actually we weren't so used to uh, partners in crime fighting. No, I don't think we were, and I think it was quite bold of them to make. You know th- their relationship so close, and and to make that sort of part of part of the plot, and um, you know I th- I think they were you know in that that respect I think they do hold up really well still. So I did try and get my kids to watch an episode of it. They thought it was very bad, but um, <laughs> yes, I think you're right. I don't think we had that sort of duo, did we? Quite so much. No, there we there were examples. That, really. There there were uh, you know a few examples, but we have many more examples since then than before. Yes, yes. I mean, you, you, and you, you know, and of course, Cagney and Lacey as well. I absolutely love them as well. So, those sort of, I think, absolutely, I think Cagney and Lacey were real, you know, really cutting edge, weren't they? And it was wonderful seeing women in those roles as well. And their relationship was, was so fantastic. So, yes, all those things. I think uh, it, it, it's going back to character, isn't it, really? Because none of us, I don't think either you or I could remember stuff with much plot. But we do remember them, don't we? We remember oh, yeah. them and their relationship. Yeah, I in fact since uh, since I've been spending so much time at home recently for obvious reasons, I, I've gone back and, mm. and pulled up some old series um and and watched them again. And it's funny that you say that about remembering the characters but not so much the stories. Because they're like watching new episodes again. I, you know, once in a while I'll see a twist that, you know, is familiar that I remember seeing years ago. But for the most part, they're like brand new stories again. Um, can, can a mystery novel do that? I know people have read over and over and over uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Um, do you find that, mm. that people who follow your books um, reread them? people say that they do actually reread them you know more than once and I'm a bit of a rereader too and it's it's interesting isn't it because of course I suppose sometimes when I'm reading a book and I've got you know got a, a new book I I'm quite desperate to sort of find out what happened so I sort of whiz through it and then actually sometimes it's quite good to sort of stop and then read you read it again for different things don't you you maybe read it a bit more for you know the characters or the humor or things that you might have missed the first time when you're not just sort of galloping flat out for, for plot. Uh, and I wonder also whether it's to do with what we were talking about earlier, about the comfort, you know. Um, once you know how it's, what's going to happen and you know how it works out, well, then you can read it again for comfort reasons, really. I mean, I've been reading, um, you know, old Agatha Christie's and Georgia Hayes and things like that during this lockdown, like you were saying about when you get out the old uh, book sets and you also get out books, don't you, that you, that you loved. And I've found them so comforting. Even books in which awful things happen. I, I re- recently reread um, Secret History and I, I 
loved it just as much as I did the first time. But, you know, pretty awful things happened in that book, but I found it terribly comforting to reread it. <laughs> um, we've, we've, it's almost impossible to not talk about how the pandemic has impacted all aspects of our lives. But I'm, I'm always curious with writers, and I've been surprised at some of the responses that I've said, has this been a time where you've been able to, you know, really isolate yourself and be especially productive? Um, and, and I'm surprised, Ellie, that, that some of the writers I've talked to have said, you know, I, I look back over the last year and think, gosh, you know, I, I could have done this and this and this, but I really just kind of stood there like a deer in the headlights. I think I think that's true, and I think a lot of us sort of felt like that. And yes, I remember, because I'm contracted at the moment to write two books a year, and I remember at the start of it, my husband saying to me, um, oh, maybe you could write three this year then, because, you know, you're, in, in a way, even though I didn't take that kindly to that as a suggestion, you know, you could see his point. I wasn't touring. I wasn't doing any of those other things. I wasn't going out to teach, so I'm sort of teaching sort of... Um, uh, online but you know I wasn't doing any of those things so I in theory did have more time and you know like like your other um, respondents have said I I did I did meet my deadlines I had to write two books and I did do that um, but you know I had I've been very very lucky my, my children have grown up so I haven't been having to homeschool them both Andy and I can work from home I've got this nice shed in my garden you know in, in theory I should be super productive but I think there is something about the you know the, the, the sort of terrible sense that we had of, of sort of nothing happening and everything happening at the same time was, was very it, it did make you feel sort of quite sort of stuck really but I in another way I have felt very very lucky to have books to, able to, to be able to escape to you know I, I've oh, yeah. been able to come up here at the top of my garden and just go into a different world and I'm just so grateful so grateful that I was able to do that really yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of funny, Ellie, because I um, I started working from home about two months before the uh, pandemic began, right. and so I was already settled into a routine at home, and I didn't feel nearly as inconvenienced as some people have been. Um, but but this is a uh, a strange time, and and I always ask writers um, like you, Ellie you writing is a is a very solitary thing but it sounds like you miss interacting with people i really do miss it i do because as we were sort of saying at the beginning crime writers are strangely sort of fun loving really um, <laughs> and, and we like a party you know because and there are lots of you know crime writing conventions and festivals there's, there's Bachagon, which is that the 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 famous one in in america but also there's harrogate in in the UK and Bristol and all these, you know, festivals are normally our year would sort of be, um, they, they would be markers through the year. You'd say to people, oh, I'll see you at Harrogate, I'll see you at Bouchagon, yeah, that'd be so much fun. And I have really missed that. I've missed, you know, I've obviously kept in contact with, with sort of my sort of close group of writer friends, you know, on a WhatsApp group and sometimes have a distanced walk with, with um, a good friend of mine, another writer called Leslie Thompson. But, you know, in fact, Leslie and I, 
funny enough, quite often meet in a graveyard. There's a graveyard that's sort of between our two houses. And we sometimes <laughs> meet there to sort of chat at a distance, and it feels very crime writery. Um, but, but yes, I really do miss that. <laughs> a couple I, I, crime I writers. A, <laughs> a couple ca- crime writers walk into a cemetery, and one says to the other, almost sounds like the beginning of a joke, Ellie. Yeah. <laughs> It really does. It really does. If you if you can think how that joke ends, you've got to tell me. But yes, it, 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 it could be a joke or it could be a crime novel, couldn't it? You don't that's, know, really. That's true. A a, uh, a collaboration of writers. Yes. Because yes. something happens and in the cemetery that happens to them both. Mm. Yes. <laughs> so they both see something or... Yes. <clears throat> They're both because witnesses often, to some um, strange, just, m- mysterious behavior. Yeah. Or they see a grave that looks old, but they've never seen it before. How has it suddenly got there? Oh, that's fun. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> yes, isn't it? And I, 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 that down. Yes. I just <laughs> got a little glimpse into your creative process there. Which is fun, because I always like to talk about, you know, where where does this this stuff come from? Are you thinking all the time about, you know, when you see things, hear things, read things? Oh, that would fit nicely into a, a story about a murder. Sometimes, and you know. Sometimes it can be a bit disconcerting for other people, can't it? When you're um, <laughs> a friend of mine was, was saying he, he, he runs a, he runs a pub and he was telling me the story about the pub and I said, oh, I said, wow, that would be a fantastic place for a murder and I meant it meant it as a sort of compliment and he said, oh no, don't say that, oh no, that's awful and I thought, oh, gosh, it is awful, of course it is, but you know, <laughs> I, I suppose your, your mind does <laughs> and and just so, because I as I said, I'm I'm quite influenced by place and atmosphere the way he was describing in fact it was this uh, a deserted pub that had all these tailors dummies in it and i just thought wow that would be a good place for a murder but obviously not everyone's mind goes there and it can be a bit disconcerting oh, i just just read a, a little piece in the paper about a new york restaurant that teamed up with um the wax museum and got some of the characters put in the the restaurant Ooh. as as seat fillers gosh the way they've been doing that's, uh, you I know mean, and and the idea was to make the place look a little bit more crowded but also you know to draw a little attention it's a bit like isn't there um, there is a, a Conan Doyle a Sherlock Holmes story like that isn't there where he hires Somebody, a, a group of people to sit around a table because they look like the other people who used to sit around the table. I'm describing this very badly. But, you know, there, there is a crime novel in there somewhere, definitely. Anyway, I just it sounded like an interesting setting. I've been fascinated by, you know, the, the, the sports arenas and so on that have been filling seats with, you know, placards, you know, cutouts of, of people to make them look more full. And, uh, and this guy actually teamed up with a... Uh, wax museum uh, there in new york and um and, and they've filled some of the wow. seats it was it was short-lived but it, it was kind of a fun it was kind of a fun thing hey i i have to to cut it Very uh, um i i have another break coming up can you stick around for a few more minutes so we can wrap this oh, up a little bit yes i'm enjoying us oh i'm i'm having a wonderful time ellie i feel like we could talk about this all day <laughs> um 
My guest is uh, international bestseller Ellie Griffiths, and uh, she has a new book called The Postscript Murders, and uh, we'll talk more about her and her work when we return. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM in Flint, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner Program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. The Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. 
Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Tom Sumner Program.com the Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue uh, with my conversation with uh, international best-selling author Ellie Griffiths. Uh, she has a new book called The Postscript Murders, and she has joined me uh, by phone from the U.K. Ellie, welcome back. Thanks again for sticking around. Oh, thank you. Really enjoying our chat. Um, I, I am, too. I feel like, you know, we could sit down in a in a restaurant or a pub or... <laughs> A cafe and and talk for hours about this stuff just before we went to break we had touched on creativity a little bit and I'm always fascinated by where ideas come from and whether or not you can write yourself into a corner <laughs> um, what is the writing process like for you Ellie do you um, are you very disciplined with outlines and strict times that you spend uh, writing or do you binge write the way some people do and and the stories kind of roll out as if they're telling themselves i i'm a bit i suppose i'm a bit of a cross between the two really and that i i do plan a little bit and i always used to just do a sort of um just in longhand in my notebooks do like a sort of chapter plan before i started a book but i did plan out i kind of you know i knew who did it basically um, my last few books, though, I haven't actually had anything written down. I haven't gone with a plan, although I had it in my head. And I feel that that's given me a little bit more sort of freedom to, to change the story as I go along and to be a bit surprised by it myself. And I, I really like that. I really like that feeling of thinking, wow, you know, not, 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 who's that? I don't know who it is. Who's going to be at the door? You know, I quite like that. I like <laughs> And I suppose I've been a bit. <laughs> I've been a bit confident in, in that, you know, a bit more confident in that I've, I've thought, oh, well, you know, like you said, if you write yourself into a corner, you think you probably can write yourself out of it again. But, you know, I quite often do things like I put something in chapter two and I think to myself, wow, that's significant. But I don't know why. <laughs> I'm just hoping <laughs> that, that it will become, you know, clear to me. And quite often, and in fact, this happened with The Stranger Diaries, uh, with the, the postscript murders. Um, Probably about three quarters of the way through, I suddenly thought, oh, that's who did it. And actually, I hadn't had that clear in my head before, but it was like the story was already there, but I was just sort of coming to it, really. So um, I do like to leave myself a little bit of room to be surprised, a little bit of, you know, time to sort of twist and turn. And there's a really good quote, and I think I think it's Neil Doctorow said um, that writing... Um, was like driving in the dark with your headlights on and you can only see a little bit of the road in front but you can do the whole journey that way and I suppose I've become a bit more confident that I can do that you know just see the next little bit but just be confident that I will get there in the end. Now it takes it takes a little bit of time to get a uh, a book uh, completed and edited and and go through the publishing process before it, it 
comes out. Um, are you already working on the next book? At the moment, I am, because I do have this sort of uh, uh, schedule at the moment where I'm writing two, two a year. So as soon as I finish one book, I will immediately start the next, like immediately, even, even if I then leave the next one. But it's sort of a superstition with me that as soon as I finish one, I'll get a new, uh, you know, a new file up on my computer and just do the first few lines. I think, well, I've started the next. I can I can tick that off. So I'm quite often writing the next one whilst editing the one before. But that seems to work fine. I don't know, though I do know writers who can do things like write in one series in the morning and another in the afternoon. But I haven't been able to do that. I feel like I can only write one book at a time. But I have been able to edit one while, while I write the other one. So far, I have been able to do that. Well, Ellie, it's really uh, it's really been fun to talk with you, and uh, and I hope when the next book is done, you'll come back and we'll talk some more. Ellie Griffiths is the author of a new book called The Postscript Murders. Ellie, we uh, have to wrap things up, sadly, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I do. And, and, and first of all, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. It's been great. And I'd love to come back again. Yes, so you can get me on my website, which is um, www.elliegriffiths, or you can talk to me on Twitter, where I'm Ellie Griffiths, or Instagram, elliegriffiths17, or on my Facebook page. So any of those ways, do get in touch. I absolutely love to hear from readers. So uh, that would be wonderful. Well, this, is, uh, this has been a real delight, and uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Thanks so much, and uh, stay safe, be well, and, and good luck with uh, all your work. You too, Tom. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Again, that was uh, Ellie Griffiths, a, uh, an internationally uh, known best-selling author of the uh, Ruth Galloway Mysteries, and... Uh, the Stranger Diaries, and now The Postscript Murders. Anyway, we'll uh, have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Another five-minute mystery. See if you can solve the case before the end of the program. Well, Alice, one more block and you'll behold the Brooks household. Two whole years, Jim. It just doesn't seem possible it's been so long. You and Dorothy married and with a place of your own? Ah, it's true, all right. Only too bad you haven't taken advantage of the old Brooks hospitality sooner. Well, I'm here now and I intend on having a perfectly wonderful time. Now here we are. Oh, what a charming place this is. Dorothy's probably on needles and pins waiting for me to get you here. Darling, it's Jim. Here's Alice. <gasps> Jim, look! What? Where? There, on the living room floor. It's Dorothy, dead. Mr. Brooks, I'm afraid you and Miss Manning will have to submit to some routine questions. I'll be happy to help in any way I can, Inspector. Thank you, Miss Manning. Now, Mr. Brooks, while we're waiting for some information I phoned for, I want you to tell me exactly what happened this morning. Well, there's nothing much to tell. Both my wife and I were quite excited, expecting Alice, that is, Miss Brant Miss Manning here, to visit us from Chicago. I was to wait until she called me at the office. And you were there all morning? 
Yes, until Miss Manning's train arrived and we came out here. I had written Mrs. Brooks to tell her that I would call Jim at the office as soon as I arrived. The train was an hour late. Maybe if I had been here earlier, it may have been prevented. Hmm, well, that remains to be seen. Apparently, Miss Brooks was sitting here in this chair putting red polish on her fingernails when she was shot from behind. The polish has spilled all over the carpet, and she was still holding the tiny brush in her hand. She must have recognized her attacker, and since she did not die instantly, she printed these three initials here on the floor with the polish. D-O-C. D-O-C? I wish we could tell whose initials she was trying to reveal. Yeah, sure, you don't know anyone whose name would fit that? Positive. I can't. Oh, oh. Yes, Miss Manning, can you think of somebody with those initials? Well, I, I... D-O-C spells Doc, and it's Mr. Brooks's nickname. Why, it can't be. Yes, Mr. Brooks. I haven't been called Doc in over two years. It was a nickname I picked up in school. My wife didn't like the name and never used it. No one in New York even knows me by Doc. I've, you've got to believe me, Inspector. It's the truth. Hmm, well, that we'll see. Just a minute. Hello? Yes, Grady? Yes. I see. Well, it's sewed up anyway. Thanks. Well, you both will be happy to know our little murder is solved. Oh, then then it wasn't Doc after all? No, Miss Manning, it wasn't Doc. I'm arresting you, Miss Manning, for the murder of Dorothy Brooks. Why did the inspector arrest Miss Manning for the murder of Mrs. Brooks? In a moment, we'll hear. And now, back to our story. How dare you arrest me? I was still on the train. Your train wasn't late, Miss Manning. That phone call just verified the fact. You came out here, murdered Miss Brooks, returned to the station, and called Mr. Brooks to pick you up. That wasn't what really gave you away, though, Miss Manning. Too bad you didn't know Mr. Brooks was no longer called Doc when you printed those letters on the carpet. The next time you leave a name as a clue to throw suspicion, you'd better get the name right. But of course, there won't be a next time, will there, Miss Manning? Join us again next time for another chance to solve a five-minute mystery. comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious.
contagious awful virus if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine the last until july a super bad transmittable super bad transmittable contagious Pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. It's 